This is the Agorismix Podcast. I'm Brandon. I've got my great co-host, Dag, with me. How you doing, Dag? I'm doing fantastic, man. Excited for this year guest. How you doing? Hey, great. We've got a super special guest. We're, we're always honored to have Saul Mayweather on. He's, you know, in, definitely internet famous. You know, if you know, probably one of the most famous uh, Agorists out there. And uh, we're really honored to have him have him write for us, too. So that's been great. How you doing, Saul? Good. Thanks for having me on. Thank, it's great to be on. I like I said before we we when we went live. We started recording. This is you know this is such a great podcast to be part of because Agorist Nexus has been growing so much. So I really appreciate you guys including me on anything you do, whether it's the podcast or the blog. It's greatly appreciated. Yeah, feelings mutual. So I want to talk about some of the Agorist topics that, that that don't get talked about, but I feel. In terms of agorism, that 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 agorists are kind of divided on this topic, and I'm pretty sure you and me have, if not the same, really similar views from from what I've seen, anyways. Right. And I, I want to start out with boo, you know, boogaloos, because that seems like the number one topic that that kind of agorists are are split down the line with. You know, what are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> Well, I'm not really sure it is controversial amongst agorists because I don't think uh, that's not agorism. But boogaloo is not agorism. So anybody who's out there trying to promote a so-called boogaloo is not really an agorist. That's not counter-economics. You know, a violent insurrection, the reason why... I prefer counter-economics is because violent insurrections have failed every single time in all of human history, right? So like, you know, the French went through it with Robespierre, the the English went through it with Cromwell, we went through it with Washington. Whenever you chop the head off of one tyrant, the guy holding the sword becomes the next tyrant. And that's that's basically the problem with uh, violent solutions to the state. So the only... Uh, the only effective solution is counter-economics, and that's because it's the only logically consistent uh, strategy, right? We're, we're the only the only strategy to oppose statism that doesn't include the initiation of violence upon peaceful people is agorism, is counter-economics, and that's that logical consistency. That's where we tr- that, that's the well from which we draw the strength of the philosophy from. You're right. I mean, when they chop a head off, you know, a tyrant. It, it's almost like a hydra. You've got, you yeah. know, five more or whatever, and it's like it's like what they say. What was said in, in that one movie, The Patriot, where he says, you know, why would I trade one tyrant three thousand miles away for three hundred one mile away? You know, and that's kind of what we have now. We've got a crap ton of tyrants, whether it's state, yeah. local, <clears throat> city, or you know, federal, whatever. Even like the local bureaucrats on like the zoning board have become tyrannical, but you know, it's yeah. it's funny because a lot of times, a lot of times when, when they you do have one of these violent insurrections, what will happen is the the person or the the tyrant that replaces the old tyrant ends up being more oppressive than the previous tyrant, right? In in the case of like uh, Cromwell, they ended up the English people ended up begging his the the English the deposed king's family to come back. And rule over them because Cromwell was so tyrannical and he was supposed to be like this big revolutionary, you know, so, or, you know, again, ask the, the farmers of, of Pennsylvania how they feel about, you know, not the, the American Revolution being fought over taxes and then, you know, having Washington invade them unconstitutionally to steal their money from sales of whiskey. So, it, like, again, 
violence just replaces governments, whereas counter-economics eradicates them. And that, that, that's, the, that's the difference. Yeah, you, you bring up you bring up so many good points there. And you know, a lot of a lot of people say, you know, and I, I wanna say that that in the New Libertarian Manifesto, Kantin writes that even if even if he's not consistent, uh, agorism is a consistent principle. So and the whole point of agorism is to basically take down the state via counter economics, right? So if if you're not trying to take down the state counter economically and you're trying to do it uh, militarily, you know, that's not consistent with agorism. No, no, no. Um, I was just, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. Um, that's not to say, and you know, and I, I agree with Konkin here that eventually there will be this sort of violent confrontation between, uh, between agorists and, um, the state, but that'll be in the form that'll be much later on. That'll be like during phase four of the agorist revolution. That'll be between, uh, PDAs or private defense agencies and, uh, you know, the remaining pockets of, of politicians, uh, you know, so there will be that, that sort of violent showdown, but that's, that won't be the sort of general uprising that people like envision it to be, you know, like people think like all of a sudden we're all going to like pick up our muskets and go fight the government in the fields. It's not going to happen that, you know, those days have passed. So again, you know, the only logically consistent strategy is counter-economics. And, you know, the funny thing is Konkin was a scientist, right? So, like, he had this real appreciation for logical consistency and, like, scientific accuracy. And I don't think people, even a lot of agorists, don't understand that about agorism, is that it, it's it's very much so a scientific theory. Like, it's very, uh, it's, a, it's a very logically sound um, theory. So... You know, it's almost like quantum mechanics is you can't find like a logical loophole in quantum mechanics. It's the same way with agorism, but that's, that, that's what makes us stand out from the other schools of thought in the libertarian community. Like all of the other, like all the, the minarchists, the constitutionalists, the libertarian party guys, they're obviously logically inconsistent for a host of reasons. The end caps are logically inconsistent because, you know, they all prefer, they don't know what strategy they prefer, to be honest with you, but they usually end up voting or they engage in anarcho-Zionism um, or they promote secession or all these pipe dreams. You know what I mean? They, they, they don't, they don't see the final, uh, the final piece of the puzzle, which is the, the, the counter-economic, the logical consistency of counter-economics. What kind of scientist was Konkin? I think he was like a chemist. Wasn't it, um, it, it, was, it was chemistry. Okay. Um, I believe he was a chemist. There was, you know, so, I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little weird here for a second. There was, um, you know, when, when you were talking just now, you know, about it, about agorism being like a, you know, like a scientifically, like, like logical thing, like, I don't know, maybe you can help me. I have a hard time putting my feelings into words in this, but there's, there's something about like markets that just feels to me like that's just how the universe functions, right? Like there's balance um, when just like in nature, when there's a hole somewhere, something comes in to fill that niche, you know, and that's kind of the same way markets operate. Yeah. I kind of feel like there's <clears throat> something, uh, something like almost like, you know, God or the universe or whatever. That's just like, you know, that just makes like the, the universe just function the, the best like that, you know, when, yeah, when things are, I, I totally you get what I'm saying. I, I don't want to sound like I'm rambling, but no, no, hundred percent. And and at the risk of, of becoming too philosophical for, for you guys or for the audience, for the listeners. Um, and this is something I touched on briefly in one of my podcast episodes, but essentially if you think about it, right, like 
like if you ask yourself what sort of like uh, characteristics or traits would an entity have to have in order for us to consider that entity to be God, well, they would have to have like, you know, they'd have to have the ability to instantly communicate with anybody anywhere in the world. Like we all picture God can just like start talking to like anybody at any moment in time, right? God can be anywhere at any time. He knows everything. Uh, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. So like we have all of these like characteristics of God. And like, if you think about it, really like all that means is that God has really impeccable access to the truth, right? If God, if, if what makes God, God is just really great access to knowledge, then that sort of puts knowledge in a superior position to God. And you can't have that. That's, that's a logical contradiction. Nothing can be superior uh, to God. Right. So like, if you, if you think about it though, if you think about God, like <clears throat> in terms of, in terms of that, the way I, the way I interpret that is that, uh, knowledge is God, right? There isn't, there isn't a logical contradiction because if you take all of the, the facts in existence and you put them together, that is just really the state of affairs, right? That another word for all of the facts in existence would just be the state of affairs, right? They're, they're basically synonyms. So to me, uh, that's God is, is knowledge or truth. And I think another way of looking at that is by saying that all of the facts taken together in existence uh, it's just the economy. It's just the market, right? Isn't that what the economy is? It's just the state of affairs. So if you think about it, there's like this, and again, I don't want to get too heavy for you. I'm probably, I probably already lost everybody, but like the, what, what I'm trying to say here is that God, the knowledge and the economy or the market are all the same thing. They're just different words for the same thing. It's almost like markets are like the discovery of those facts. Like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, like price discovery and stuff, you know, where you can, when people are free to, you know, you know, trade and I don't know, I don't know, man, this stuff's heady, but I, I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. Like, like I said, though, um, you know, it, it's almost, it, it, of course we can get, we can go in like deep, deep into like the euthyphro dilemma and how, like, if you reverse it, you get the same argument basically. But like, really, if you think about it though, in my opinion, like, again, just to like break it down, like simply all of the knowledge, every fact taken to, if you collect every fact in existence and you put it together and you just refer to that as the truth, then that to me, that's, that's God, right? It's not some guy up in the like heaven, like in the clouds with like a, a toga and a, and a beard. That's not God. That's a myth, right? God is the state of affairs. And really the market, the market economy is another word or a synonym for the state of affairs. So I do think that there is like this sort of religious or spiritual element to agorism as well. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I um, didn't mean to take us too far off track, but you start talking about the, the scientific aspect and that just really started clicking in for me with all that. So I wanted to touch on some of these, like the security contracts. A lot of people, when you, you when you try to explain that boogaloos aren't really, aren't, aren't really, you know, it's not an agorist philosophy. They always bring up security contracts. And I always say that they were there to, to basically protect their customers from the state. And they're not there to like make military strikes on the state. What's, what, what would your opinion on that be? What do you mean? What do you mean by like, what, like in other words, what, what objection are, are they making? They, they just bring up the private private security that the agorists have and they basically use that to 
uh, justify or, or explain why boots are. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, but the difference is. The difference is the a private defense agency has somebody uh, has a customer who who has voluntarily contracted with them. No one asked these boogaloo people to go to Washington and start you know lighting up Capitol Hill. And I didn't ask them to do that. I didn't hire them for that. But if you know, I might if there was a, if there was a private defense agency that I could hire to protect me from my local police department, I would damn sure pay pay for that. You know, um, absolutely. That, that's 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 the most immediate threat to me, I think, to all Americans is the local police department. So, you know, again, I, I would pay someone for that. I, I haven't paid anybody to go to Capitol Hill. I haven't had the opportunity. You, yeah, you, you make up such a good point. What now, like what phase of agorism do you believe that we're in? Not to get too off topic, but I'll, I'll kind of um, bring this back around. But what phase of agorism do you think we're in? Yeah, so Sam thought that there was going to be four stages to the Igorist Revolution. Um, phase one would be like full-on it's statism. It's phase, phase zero, right? Doesn't it? I don't even remember actually, but I know like the first stage was like full-on uh, statism. The final stage was like you know the Agora, and then there was a couple intermediary stages in there. But uh, I think that. Um, we're in phase three. I think that we've just entered into phase three. And I, I know that that sounds like super optimistic, especially considering the state of affairs. But um, one of the things that Sam says is that we'll know that we're in phase three of the revolution when we start to see uh, private firms taking on the, the functions normally reserved for the state. And uh, I've got an article I wrote <clears throat> a while back for the new libertarian about uh I did a whole series of articles on technological agorism. And I think the second one in there was, was sort of, uh, it, it covered this topic, but a lot of um, major companies, especially a lot of major tech firms are starting to uh, provide the services normally reserved for the state. A quick example, um, you know, Microsoft is creating, they're expanding broadband access into rural areas of the country based on the idea that they could sell third-party applications to people who now have, you know, easy internet access. So, uh, you know, you compare that with like FDR's push for uh, the electrification and expanding the electrical grid, where today we're still paying for like a lot of those programs are still in existence, right? And everybody has electricity, right? So it just goes to show you how, you know, I think it was Milton Friedman that said the only thing, you know, nothing's more permanent than a temporary government program. But whereas like the market, market-based system is much more efficient. So one example of like, you know, the, the, the private, uh, one example of a private firm assuming the roles normally reserved for the state would be Microsoft doing that. But there's other ones as well, like uh, SpaceX and, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos's company, what is it, Blue Horizon, who are like, they've taken upon themselves now to like develop the infrastructure for outer space. And like the list goes on and on and on. Um, you know, now, whether or not you agree with them or not, I don't happen to agree with them, but but you see tech firms, quote unquote, you know, ensuring the integrity of our elections. But that was, again, that was another role responsibility reserved for the state. So I'm, I'm excited by all this, even the bad stuff, like, like the social media censorship. I'm excited by all of it because at least it's subject to competition. Because if the state is providing those services or those goods, whatever the good or service in question is, if it's provided by the state, 
it'll be provided in a costly and inefficient manner. Whereas if there is a competitive element in the market, even if it's provided in a, in a poor fashion, eventually the market will correct that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it, it seems, seems like, like the market, market always, always beats out the, the, the state. Uh, what, what phase do you think that we're in right now? I was thinking we were in phase two, but I think you kind of convinced me on phase three because there's even a private security company in Detroit that uh, yeah. that's taking on the role of the, the police. And they haven't killed anybody yet, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah I know. Customers. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, look look at the way Uber has, has replaced or disintermediated the taxi cartels or how, you know, Airbnb has disintermediated the hotel cartels. So whereas you needed like before, like, you know, the, the, again, quote unquote, the quality of a hotel room was, was, you know, regulated by the state. And that's why, you know, there was bed bugs all over the world and roaches and every hotel room was disgusting. Whereas now with Airbnb, you could stay somewhere for 50 bucks a night and it'd probably be a pretty clean place. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see private firms replacing like the state wherever we can. The most important, though, this is the sort of the holy grail of all of this is what you mentioned, and that's the Gorgeous counter economists providing alternatives to state police services. Because once we get down that road, then we can start. Uh, eventually, you know, we have to. We haven't. We've just cracked the surface now, but eventually, uh, you know, people will be. There is going to be demand for protection from the state from police services. And that's really going to be the tipping point in the whole uh, Agorist revolution. And, and that'll be, of course, in phase four, you know, later in the, in, in the revolution. Do you think yeah, that those I, private uh, security firms would tend to pop up like more? I'd have to imagine that something like that would happen once, let's say, things start to fall apart for the state a little bit, like in stage three, they talk about the, uh, you know, the state starts to fall into crises and stuff, you know, where they can't quite they can't quite serve everybody and they don't quite have the resources to let's say stop somebody from starting comp- a competing firm or something. Do you well, think I mean, that something consider... like that would be more likely to happen? Go, Go ahead. ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I was just like, going to say, um, oh, goodness. I was just going to say, do you think that something like that would be more likely to happen in like a rural area or do you see something like that happening in more like, like an urban area? And if so, do you think maybe more an affluent or more of like a poor area? Right. Well, um, it's already sort of happened in a lot of ways. In a lot of places in the economy, you already see it happening. Like, you know, uh, the reason why there's armed, armed, uh, armed, armed trucks do a delivering. What, what is what I'm looking for? Armored cars, armored trucks delivering and picking up cash from banks is because the state is too inefficient, right? It's because the state uh, is not capable of doing that. It's the same reason why in the 1800s, back in the day, you had the Pinkertons who would protect the train to the, the train coaches because the police were incapable of doing doing that work. Um, you know, and the list goes on. Uh, bounty hunters exist because the state is incapable of doing their job. You know, so uh, wherever, whether or not, you know, it's poor or affluent is sort of irrelevant. Wherever there's a demand, there's going to be somebody popping up to, to satisfy that, that demand. Uh, you know, in the case of bounty hunters, it happens in less affluent, you know, parts of society, but, you know, I'm sure that's different in other areas. I love the armored car example. And that's something that I bring up a lot to people because 
and I've actually like looked into this too to make sure I'm not just full of shit, but like there's not a lot of instances of them like having to shoot somebody. You know, there's not there are some like robberies, but there's not a lot of instances of that. And I mean, like, I go to Publix or something, and there's this dude getting the safe and you know, getting the money out of the safe in the front, and there's hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash in there, I'm sure. And you know, he's walking it to the van and yeah, you know, if it was a cop, every little thing would be scaring them so much they'd be shooting at. You know, Isn't every funny because like, past him, I fear for my life. <laughs> even in even in New York City, um, in New Jersey, where where I'm from, uh, they're they're well armed. It's one of the few exceptions for people who can actually carry weapons. Um, in the northeastern slave states, are uh, the drivers for these armored trucks. And you're right; they they never get um, hit. They never get robbed. And isn't it funny how? like the, the the politicians in the Northeast understand that, Hey, look, we don't want the armored truck guys to get robbed. So we'll let them carry weapons. Nothing bad's going to happen. But the single mother who has to, you know, walk home at three o'clock in the morning, you know, who works in the Bronx or in Patterson or something like that, she can't carry a gun. She doesn't need a gun, right? That's not important enough, but you know, as long as, as long as the, the banksters uh, ha- have their security, their protection, who cares about the single mom who has to work, you know, an extra job just to pay for, you know the, the the plunder that they impose on her. Yeah, sorry, sure. it, it, it gets me angry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you, man. I hear you. I want to ask you, what does Phase Three, like the end of Phase Three and the beginning of Phase Four, what does that look like? Because it's really hard for me to imagine it. You know, and of course we're talking about something that that hasn't happened. But you know, how does that because it, at, at phase three, you've got like, um, you know, massive agorism and uh, counter economics really doing damage to, to the state's coffers. And then at, at phase four, you've got, you know, agorism winning. But, you know, seeing the collapse of the state and then basically rounding up all the politicians and, and whoever else and making them uh, work to pay off restitution. To, to you know their victims i'm sure that the people like, like bill clinton would never get out for a thousand years but um <laughs> but uh how how does that what does that look like to you if you could well you know i don't i don't have uh, a copy of uh, new libertarian manifesto in front of me and Conkin might go into a little bit more precise detail um than this but to me Essentially, it's just, you know, in, the way I envision it in my head is, is, is once we get into like deeper into the third phase of the revolution, we're going to start to see more and more pockets of, of counter, counter economists, of, of agorists. Like right now we have like the monolith, which is the state with a handful of pockets of agorism scattered throughout the world um, and small pockets at that. I think as we get deeper into phase three, the, the number of um, pockets of agorism around the country and around the world in general will grow, not only in number, but also in size. And now by phase four, I start to see that balance shifting. So there's going to be more, eventually there will be pockets of politicians who exist in a sea of agorists. And that's really what, that's the, to me, that's the defining characteristic of stage four. Um, and then, of course, finally, <clears throat> there's going to be, you know, the one one final lashing out by the politicians where they're going to, 
you know, make their one last, you know, attempt at, to violently subdue the, the Agoras, but uh, that will, in the end, um, fail, obviously. So to me, phase three is just we're building to... Uh, we're building to a, we're working towards a point of dominance by phase four. We've achieved that dominance. And by the end of stage four is when we, we sort of nail the coffin shut, so to speak. Yeah, that, that was a, a great answer. Um, I really appreciate all your, your insight on, on this too. Um, do, you, do you have any questions, Doc? Um. Not really any that uh, that work for uh, for shoehorning in right here, man. Um, can uh, we, we can just shift out, out of uh, shift out of boots and boots and, and phases if you want. It doesn't matter. Well, okay. So I, I guess I guess related to that, I, I got a couple thoughts. So. So okay. So let's say there's some sort of you know boog or civil war, you know, or or something like that, you know. I, I guess one of my questions is where, like, do we put it as like a geographical sense? Like, where is the line to where it stops being going out of your way to participate in a war versus self-defense? You know, like, is this when, you know, something's happening a mile from your house, uh, a block from your house? Uh, if you see it's going to end up at your house in a few days, like, is it, uh, you know, is it considered, you know, wrong to, you know, hop in a car and, and drive a few days, go participate in something, or are, are we just going to sell guns to the people participating and we don't really care either way? I mean, in my opinion, we should sell guns to everybody. The more people that are armed, the better on, and th th that's both sides. Um, it makes no difference to me, you know, who, who, who fights in, in, in one of their civil wars. I, I don't really care. It's just too, too just, as far as I'm concerned, it's just inter-gang warfare. Right. And, and I'm on the outside of the gang watching. And, you know, Sun Tzu has this great quote where he says, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the words in front of me, but he says something to the effect of when your enemies are fighting, let them and don't strengthen or weaken either one of them. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when Antifa and Blue Lives Matter are fighting, let them. When the Republicans and Democrats are fighting, let them have at it. And, you know, I, it just it just strengthens our hand. Um no, like insofar as like where is the line between self-defense and aggression, that's like that's a very that's a highly subjective and contextual sort of thing. You really need to 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 sort of be there to to make that call. In my opinion, though, um, <clears throat> it has to be, you know, self-defense can only be in defense of property, uh, you know, whether that's your your body or, or your belongings you have the right to defend that, um, you know, within reason. So, uh, like I said, though, you know, for every situation, it's different. It's highly contextual. Yeah, you, you know, for sure. Because especially like when you get in things like the words like civil war, like that's a pretty specific definition, you know, isn't that like two sides battling over control of one particular. Well, you would think uh, so you, you would think, but that's not the, that's 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 not what we call. That's not what happened for what we term as the civil war. You're right. I agree with you. Yeah, uh, the term I always liked for the American Civil War was the, the War of Southern Independence. I felt like that was like yeah, the best. And I I'm agree. not saying that the Confederacy, like, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like for the Confederacy or anything. Right. You know what I mean, like, they did terrible things. But of course, of course. yeah, I think that that's kind of my preferred term for that conflict. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I, I, anything but the Civil War, I, I try to refer, I, the war between the states, the war of northern aggression is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I just refer to it as Lincoln's genocide, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, okay, so so we might have already answered this by saying just let the two, you know, fight each other out and say, is it wrong to cheer it on when it does happen, even if we don't participate? Um, <clears throat> you know, I, that, that, that's a... That's a question outside the realm of agorism, whether or not that's moral or immoral is, you know, up to you to decide. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But to be honest with you, I don't really care. I, I just don't care anymore if they, uh, like I said, as long as they don't hurt me or mine or, or my, my, they don't aggress upon uh, my property, uh, you know, I'm happy. It's too bad we can't go back to the old days where they just, you know, two groups of people meet in the middle of a field and they duke it out. You know, we can just throw all the Republicans and Democrats into like one empty location and come back in the morning and see who's standing. But it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Because <laughs> ultimately, it's the innocent lies and collateral damage is the problem. Like, I don't have an issue with dueling. If two dudes want right. to go duel, yeah. hey man, you know, go yeah. for it. So why not two groups? <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> I've always, I've often thought that, you know, it's too bad we can't hire these politicians to like fight to the death in some like coliseum because there would be you know it would be better selling than like super bowl tickets in america that's how many people despise these politicians um you know don't be that's why i don't like voting because it really does like lend an air of legitimacy to the system but uh you know the majority of people can't stand these crooks and that, that the majority of americans are sick and tired of this bullshit it's just you know the the few remaining statists and voters out there it's like i I don't even know the exact numbers i haven't looked at this election but the the majority of people don't even participate in in elections anymore in this country you know so at what point do they have to admit that they've lost legitimacy yeah if only six people showed up to vote you know like how could they claim that right i say that all the time yeah absolutely yeah how could it be a representative government if nobody's participating like um, a Wendy uh, McElroy said, like they, you're choosing a represent, not a representative of you. You're choosing a representative for the government. Like you know, they're just a liaison between you, yeah, and, right, you know, yes, people and the government. Yes, exactly. Well put. Yeah. Let's let's shift to uh, now. There are like you know, there's current events going on, and I know, like you know, I don't believe in uh, voting or legitimizing the state or um, using the 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 will of the majority to force the you know minority but but since since there are current events going on with with the election and you know they say that there's voter fraud or whatever there's fraud every year though well just elections are fraud in in general right exactly (laughs) where do you see this whole thing going i mean i kind of see like the the republicans being pissed off and you know maybe small groups going going after each other you know where, where do you see it yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you have little little pockets of skirmishes or something like that happening. But I, I, I don't. It, you see, you know, I mean, do you see Trump like conceding? You know, conceding no, really or <clears throat> no, not yet. At least I think it's, a lot of it's going. A lot of it's going to determine what happens in Nevada, and then I, I and then after that, I think you're going to see this. Uh, legal process play out you might even see like another supreme court case like that you did in bush v gore or something like that but um i'd be surprised if if they let trump climb out on top of this one um 
I think mainstream media has been, you know, uh, again, I'm, and trust me, I'm like the last person in the world who supports Trump. I think he's a psychopath who, you know, should be in camp for the murder of 19 civilians and amongst other things. But, uh, you know, I think mainstream media <clears throat> believes that they have him where they want him. So I, I, I don't think that they're going to, they're not going to let him stand up off the mat. They're going to try to keep him down for the 10 count. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, a lot, like I said, a lot of it hinges on Nevada. I think as of right now, um, what it's Friday evening. Uh, I think Nevada last I checked, it was like 48% and change 48 and change like to like 50% favoring Biden, but they'd only counted, I think like 86% of the vote. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, it looks like a lot of this is going to hinge on where Reno votes. You know, we were saying before we went on, you know, the two major population centers in Nevada are just Las Vegas and Reno. Las Vegas, you know, is going to vote blue, which will be canceled out by the rural vote in Nevada. Uh, so which only leaves Reno. So basically the entire country is going to be, is good. Who's going to, who, who are, who the zookeeper is, is going to be decided by the people of Reno. That's how fucked up the system is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah if you're, if, if you're, <laughs> Dependent on a whole entire city to, to make a decision. It's, In the end of all cities, Reno, have you ever seen the cops out there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Super <laughs> corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling cops aren't really like that, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I hope they're not that stupid. Actually, it would probably be, it'd probably be better off if they, they were. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's one of the reasons that like I still I still it's hard for me to like you know cop shows but I still enjoy that one you know um <laughs> you know you because know, they somehow. make fun of them right 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 that's pretty pretty much is it <laughs> right and it's and also like in, in Shakespeare had, they do the same thing in Shakespeare how there's like the two dumb cops you know that's sort of like the literary device that's used over the years and everybody knows that cops are stupid the only people who don't know the cops are stupid are the people who marry them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh goodness um yeah you know when you look at the maps of you know like who voted for who and it really is like the you know one of the things just so blatantly you know wrong with you know quote-unquote system we have is you know like you look at a couple little spots of blue the vast majority of the country's red you know but it's these people in these dense cities they get to make decisions for everybody else and that's yeah, and look how they've been managing their cities, right? The cities are all disasters. They're falling apart. <clears throat> New York City is, is dead. Trust me, I, I just left, like, you know, a freaking Cuban refugee coming into Florida. That's how basically how I arrived here. Everything is shut down. Everything is ruined. It's still ruined. I grew up there. New York, to me, was always the greatest city on earth. And every night we were out at, like, a new, at a bar or a restaurant, um, you know, we were always at some event or some meetup for Bitcoin or 3D printing or some some convention was going on and then coronavirus hit and they just wouldn't let people do anything. You, you couldn't go to a bar or a restaurant. You couldn't do any of those things anymore. So really, there was no point in paying for that high standard of living. And, you know, that's a, that's a pattern that we've seen throughout the entire world. Any city where you get these left-wing socialists uh running it it all it all turns to shit san francisco quite literally turned to shit they're actually shitting in the street now in san francisco um typhus outbreaks and stuff it's ridiculous yeah it's crazy i was in miami for the bitcoin conference just before coronavirus hit in like february and uh 
there was just homeless people everywhere, all over the place. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, it's just every major city, Chicago has like, uh, you, there's, a, there's a higher violent crime rate in Chicago than there is in Mosul, Iraq. Okay, but that just goes to show you how like, how, how crazy these in backwards and counterproductive these socialist policies are. And now they want to replicate them on a national scale. So look, that's why I tell people withdraw your consent from the system, <clears throat> reject the political establishment. Once you accept the philosophy of liberty, the only consistent out is to accept uh, counter economics, in, in, you know, as, as the only proper solution. So Protect yourself and engage in agorism. It's the only only advice that's worthy of, of following at this point. Yeah, yeah crypto alternatives too. I mean, I, yeah, I, I yeah. love, I love how uh, crypto takes away the, not only the power from the state but the central banks. You, you know, huge huge cartels that run that run everything. Yeah, crypto is just amazing. I could go on and on. <clears throat> it's the most, in my opinion, and this is this. I gave a speech at Fork Day this year for. Um, the, the Bitcoin cash anniversary and basically the whole gist of the speech was that cryptocurrency is the most powerful tool in, in the counter economist's toolbox, right? The, the hammer is to the carpenter as crypto is to the worst, because like you said, not only <clears throat> does it disintermediate the, the central bank, but now you have this peer to peer cash that's uncensorable that you can use in a way where, you know, anybody can make any transaction so not only are you getting around the Federal Reserve's inflation, but you're also getting around the DEA uh, prohibitions or the ATF's prohibitions. And to me, that's just an absolutely beautiful thing, how all of that can come out of one innovation like uh, the Bitcoin white paper. One of the things that Wendy McElroy points out in um, the Satoshi Revolution, too, about it is it's one of the big values is also that yeah, you're also working around the banking cartel in the sense that like, you know, transaction fees like Bitcoin cash are like so minuscule, you know, yeah. you can't send money across the world for that yeah. price any other way. It's crazy. It's crazy. And you know, it's funny. I just posted a picture on Snapchat. I was trying to fulfill um, uh, an order for a 3d printer go burr. I was trying to buy like a bunch of 3d printers and I had to move, I think it was like $3,500, $3,600 around. And I was going to do it in BTC just because I have this, I have all this BTC, I have all this BTC sitting around that I wasn't using. So I was like, well, I might as well use that. And uh, the fees, when I went to move it, the fees to move that amount of Bitcoin was like $86. And I'm thinking to myself, that's crazy. That's insane. How is that going to work as a money? So I moved over to Bitcoin Cash and it cost me like less than a penny to move that amount of money around. So, you know, it doesn't make sense to me how you can have an efficient, competitive medium of exchange when it costs so much money to complete a transaction. Could you imagine you're waiting online in like a retail setting? Like, you know, like I know nowadays most shopping is done online, but can you imagine like you're at like, I don't know, Target or something waiting online and you know, you go to pay and you scan your BTC wallet and, and you, you turn around to the customers behind you and you're like, all right, guys, just give me like an hour and 10 minutes for this transaction to confirm. And by the way, uh, cashier lady, you, you owe me like 50 bucks to, to complete that transaction. That's a joke, right? That's not how money works. So a lot of the, the, the hype on and, and the, the price is sort of built on speculation and, and branding. Whereas with Bitcoin Cash and some other currencies like Monero, 
it's it's really more based on fundamentals, which to me is where we should be focused as agorists. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people don't realize that BTC they do double spend now, so it's like, well, what's what's the what's the point really? I mean, the whole point was to to verify, be able to verify without a trusted third party peer to peer. I guess with fees that high, right? Like you, you might as well just use the banks at that point. So right, um, yeah, exactly. And, and then, then it, it takes away the well. You, I guess a lot of people don't realize this. You can double spend them on Bitcoin on BTC now. So it's like the whole point of you know how how uh, how can you double spend? Yeah, <laughs> not not that I'm going to do it, but I'm just curious to find out how. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know exactly how because I don't even I don't even mess with, with Bitcoin anymore. But I guess you can you can spend it and. Um, let me, let me this well, so you know what's interesting is because of the high fees, and people don't realize this, is that a lot because the fees are so high, transactions get driven off of chain, right? Which 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 removes the whole peer to peer aspect from cryptocurrency, which is the reason why it was created in the first place. So like, that's why we see like PayPal stepping into the whole cryptocurrency community because you know. Now with PayPal, people think they're going to be able to move crypto around nice and easy with, you know, no cost. Um, but that's, that's, you might as well use dollars at that point. Well, you know, like you said, you might as well use a bank. What the hell is the point of even using Bitcoin at that point? The whole purpose is to have a peer-to-peer currency that doesn't require a KYC payment provider like PayPal. You know, that's, that, that's really what, that's why what Ross did is so important from like a historical perspective, right? Because he showed us the power of having a peer-to-peer currency. You could never buy, imagine you tried to buy dope with a credit card. You'd have the the DEA breaking down your door by, by tomorrow morning, right? But with cryptocurrency where you don't need that third party verifier, it's just the buyer and the seller are the only parties in that transaction you can you 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 can exchange for whatever you like at that point, and you know that um, that peer to peer nature is 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 what that is the utility of Bitcoin. Like a lot of times you hear people say, "There's no intrinsic value to cryptocurrency, right? It just it just exists virtually." Well, the, the intrinsic value, the utility that Carl Menger described, the use value requirement, is satisfied by being that peer to peer cash and like. You know, and I, you guys might have heard me say this. A lot of the listeners probably have heard me say this. But like, if you think about gold, like gold was able to become money because it was valued by everyone. Everyone wanted it, not for its monetary purpose, but because it was used for decorative purposes. But because every single person wanted it for decorative purposes, uh, it, be, it, it became used as money. Right, because everybody wanted gold, it became very easy for me to say, "Hey, you know what? Can I can I give you uh, some gold for those chickens?" And you say, "Yeah, okay, sure, I want gold. Yeah, of course." So that 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 utility is what sort of bootstrapped uh, the demand, uh, the monetary demand, I should say. Uh, so, in the case of cryptocurrency, the way I see it, and I think this is where Ross comes in, is uh, you know that. Having a peer-to-peer currency right now, it only appeals to agorists and counter-economists. But um, as the state becomes more oppressive, as they become more restrictive, as they attempt to censor more and more transactions, 
the demand for a peer-to-peer -peer currency is going to skyrocket. And that is going to be our, that's going to be like how gold was decorative. That's going to be what does it for us. That's what's going to be bootstraps the demand for cryptocurrency around the world. Uh, and that's, you know, again, that's, that's what Ross, uh, proved with the Silk Road. And of course, he was following the model laid out by J. Neil Shulman and alongside Knight. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, before Neil died, I had him on the show. And, and he, I, I asked him, I said, you know, what, what are some good ways people can get involved in counter economics? And he told me carefully, he said carefully, because he was very cognizant of the fact that uh, Ross got double life plus 40 by following the, the the book, the plan that he laid out in his book. And I think that that sort of, um, I think that that weighed heavily on Neil towards the end. Wow. Yeah, yeah um, I had heard that um, about uh, about um, Ross, that yeah, he started reading, um, I guess, uh, you know, Showman there and um, and then started reading Konkin and stuff and then got into yeah. doing the Silk Road thing. And, and it's like, it's like, that's, that's great, but like, it's troubling too, I guess. Now, as far as the double spend, I've got it right here. Uh, Haven Auto did the test, and it says here, for the test, Auto simply downloaded an Electrum wallet for Android, and he set up two wallets in the application. He sent the transaction with the RBF-enabled wallet and then sent another transaction with the wallet with RBF-disabled. Right. After after purchasing goods from the merchant, Otto walked away with the merchandise and performed double spend with the other wallet he created. Right, right, right. Yeah, that reverse by fee. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Hayden, Hayden does great work. Um, you know, the whole Bitcoin cash split, it's really driven a wedge into the community. And I think... Um, it's too bad. Hayden and I find ourselves on opposite ends of that split because I, I think he he really does some amazing work with adoption. He's probably one of the one of, if not the most effective people in the world when it comes to cryptocurrency adoption. So I hope he comes back. Yeah, I mean, he's got Roger, probably Roger Vera is like number one and like he's right. up, up there too. But um, but yeah, it's it's un, it's unfortunate. Now, in terms of the, we've got an update on what is it, the fifteenth, right? In terms of Bitcoin Cash? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, November 15th, we're going to get a free airdrop from ABC. Um, <laughs> shout out to Amori for that. I appreciate the, the free coins. I'll be converting it back to real Bitcoin Cash as soon as I get them. So yes, Same here. I'm, I'm on the bear, so Mayweather. Yeah, it's... Myself. Go ahead and ex explain to us like why you're, you know, why, why you're forking this way. Right, right. Well, see, to me, the whole point is it doesn't make sense to me to put the Bitcoin project into anyone's hands. You know, even Satoshi didn't want to be in charge of his own project. So why should Amari be in, in charge of it? The way I look at it is this. If you think about what, what, what Bitcoin Cash with an IFP is going to look like, what it, especially when, when that IFP is ran by ABC, by one development firm, it's just Dash. It's just a much more centralized version of Dash. And by the way, huge fan of Dash. I love Dash. I think it's it's absolutely great currency. It's a they make an attempt to be a medium of exchange, which I think is the key to cryptocurrency. 
but they have a treasury funding mechanism and it works out great. They funded some amazing projects like that, but it's been done in a decentralized fashion. That's the difference, right? There's no overlord. It's based on, I'm sure you know this, but it's based on a system of masternodes and masternode voting. And you have to put up dash to stake in order to run a masternode. I think it's like, I think it's like a thousand dash. I could be wrong, but it's like a lot of money, you know? So it's a significant investment. People who want to run a masternode have an incentive to see the the, the Dash network developed the best way possible. With Bitcoin ABC, there's no such incentive. They just have an incentive to, to follow their own interests. That's why I think you have this sort of confluence of developers congregating around ABC. It's only that's the only people supporting the fork are the developers because they're the ones who stand to gain the most monetarily. So, you know, not only that, but if you think about it, why should we subsidize only one development firm? Why not Bitcoin Unlimited? Why not Bitcoin.com? You know, why does it have to be Bitcoin ABC? Why should they be the ones being subsidized from the Coinbase reward? Why shouldn't it be uh, Agoras Nexus or uh, the Agora podcast? Yeah, we good both, point. We, good point. you know, yeah, right. I mean, we both promote <laughs> Bitcoin Cash. I mean, why should Amori, again, Amori is a brilliant developer. I'm not taking any of that away from him. He's been uh, fundamental in, in, in the whole fight for Bitcoin Cash. There's no doubt about that. No, I'm not debating that at all. I just don't, I'm not, I, I don't, it seems silly to me at this point, 12 years into the Bitcoin project to put it all into one person's hands. So, and I think, I think the miners are, uh, agree with me. Um, even Binance, I think, came out and said that they were going to give the ticker to the chain with the most hash power, which as of now seems quite clearly to be BCHN. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm confident that at the end of the day, ABC is going to end up forking themselves off into obscurity. Yeah, I totally question the, the, And I, I'm going that way with the fork, too. I mean, I, I don't like how you can just take away, you know, how are you going to take away the rewards from the miners? I mean, and give it to people with no interest. I mean, I think you make a great point there. So uh, go yeah, ahead, Doug. Yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> No, no. So, so stupid, stupid newbie question. Cause I still just, this whole fork thing still just, I'm still just so confused by it. So like, so, okay. So, so they fork off and then like you were saying, Sal, you can get airdrop this, you know, Bitcoin cash ABC or whatever. Does that, it's so like, let's say I own like one, you know, BCH. Does that, does that mean that like I get like one, the BCH ABC thing? And then like, where does that show up? What do I do with it? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's so yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It's what a little it confusing means. to me. <clears throat> that that's exactly what it means. So that, yeah, that, that's how a hard fork works. You get whatever you hold in the original coin, you get that in the new coin. It, it, how you receive it depends. Like, this is why I tell people don't keep your coins on an exchange because if you have your coins on an exchange, this happened with a couple forks in the past. The exchange just says, "Oh no, 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 those are our coins. <laughs> the new coins, those belong to us." Um. <laughs> You know, look, not your keys, not your coins. So don't keep any significant amount of cryptocurrency on an exchange. I think with a, you know, a private wallet, <clears throat> I'm not really sure how exactly it'll work, but I'd imagine, you know, as long as they support both chains, uh, you should just, you know, it'll just appear in your wallet. Um, I'm not really sure how it's going to work, though, for something like the Bitcoin.com wallet, which is the one I use. I'm not sure if they're going to... Uh, offer support for it immediately or not. I, I should actually, I should probably reach out to Roger or Colin or somebody and, and see what the deal is with that. Yeah, yeah please do. Yeah, it'd be, uh, yeah, be nice to know, um, you know, what, uh, 
what to expect me if hey, if I get something that I can sell, then hey, that's great. You know, because I probably do the same thing you were saying, just you know, yeah. sell it off if I can and get more BCH. Yeah, you can you can <clears throat> whenever these forts happen, you can expect you can expect to see like like a, a, a lot of volatility. But the key is um don't get scared and sell off because you, you you'll you'll regret it at the end at the end of the day. Uh the best thing to do is to sort of um try your best not to like pay attention to it. Don't get worried about it. Don't say, Oh, the price is up, you know, 50% or it's down 50% because, you know, like I said, these, the, the, the price can be very volatile during these forks. So uh, try not to get too worked up by the price and, and stick to the fundamentals at the end of the day. And uh, you know, when you get through the tunnel, you'll, you'll, you'll see that, you know, the, you'll, you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. Fortunately, I don't hold enough for it to really matter much. So, you know, I just, I'm sort of, I just let it do its thing, you know, uh, but I'm trying to be as, you know, educated <clears throat> as possible. And, you know, it's my money, <laughs> you know, right, right. Um, try to, you know, be, be serious about it. But, you know, there's, it, it's, I heard someone say this uh, recently and it was like, you know, this is a, this is a new technology. There's volatility. There's a big, like there's a learning curve, but if you get on it now, by the time it gets to be more normalized where, you know, the, the term, even grandma can use it, you'll be way ahead. So it's, you know, it's good to just go ahead and get it now. So I'm trying not to freak out about anything when prices fluctuate, like, you know, whatever, I don't hold enough for it to really matter much. So I'm just going to roll with the punches. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I, I I'm I'm 100% in. I don't have any um, fiat. Uh, I try to keep as you know. Whenever I get fiat, I try to convert it as quickly as possible into sound money. Absolutely. And I found I found that that's you know been this changed my life. People don't understand how how what a dramatic impact that it has on your life when you start when you stop using fiat currency and you start using sound money because I, I mean I, it just it changes your life in so many different ways by. When you hold sound money, your your time preference goes down, and and your values in life change. I mean, it just changes everything about you. Really, uh, it changes your spending habits and your priorities. You become more focused on acquiring more and more money because you know that that value is going to go up rather than go down, and you're not you don't really want to spend it as quickly. Um, I like I said, I'm I'm all in. I'm basically. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm basically 100% in a cryptocurrency at this point, and the price fluctuations, I don't, I don't let it get to me anymore. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, wow, I made like $1,000 when I was asleep last night. And sometimes I wake up, I'm like, hey, I lost $1,000 when I was asleep at night. And you just can't <laughs> let that shit get to you. You know, you just got to. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I what's important to me is that I don't pay for the famine in Yemen. I don't want to pay to murder children that I've never met on the other side of the world. And, uh, you know, you remember that picture of the kid in uh, Syria on like the the train that got bombed and he's just sitting there. I'm not paying for that shit. I'm not doing it. You can put me in jail. You can shoot and kill me, but I'm not going to fund that. I won't do it. So cryptocurrency allows me to not have to fund that. And to me, that's, I couldn't have ever, I couldn't have asked for a greater gift than cryptocurrency. Satoshi Nakamoto I mean, I, I wouldn't know. I don't know what I would do if I had to, if I was put in a situation where I have to fund that shit. I just, I, I, I don't know. I Maybe I would just be homeless or something. I would just go live in the woods. I don't know. But I, I'd have to withdraw from society. So thank God for, for Satoshi and thank God for the white paper. Yeah, yeah that's where I always go to too when, 
someone tries to guilt you for not paying taxes, it's like I don't, I don't want to fund bombing brown kids. You know, um, I want to do as, it. As far as living on currency, or I mean cryptocurrency, um, you know, for like regular bills and stuff, do you recommend getting like one of the, um, you know, one of like the debit card things from like I think Crypto.com has one or BitPay or something <clears throat> like that? Is that how you handle like your regular bills? Yeah, yeah, that's so. Those cards are heavily KYC and like there's all sorts of you know they try to entice you to sign up for them. Like I think the crypto.com card will give you like a free subscription to Spotify or something, but it's at the end of the day, they're all heavily KYC and that's not the point of having crypto. But with that being said, I do use them because it, it, you know, for all intents and purposes, it does normalize the spending experience. But, you know, actually it's funny you bring up bill pay because this is something I've been working on at, uh, Agoristics for a while is creating a payment solution for cryptocurrency. There used to be a, a company called uh, Lamium. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Lamium. They're not around anymore, but basically it worked like this. Uh, and it, 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 I think it was designed to work with Dash. And what happened was uh, you could post your utility bills or your, you know, your cell phone bill, your car insurance bill or whatever it is. You could post your utility bills and then somebody could come along, like let's say you're you had a, a cell phone bill for a hundred dollars, you would post that bill along with a hundred dollars in cryptocurrency, and then somebody could come along and pay that bill with fiat and collect the crypto. So in other words, it was a way for people to a pay their bills using cryptocurrency, and it was also a way for b people to acquire cryptocurrency in a non KYC fashion, which. Um, you know, obviously, on both ends of that, you're you're practicing counter economics. It's a wonderful thing, and it's something that I've been kicking around at Agoristics of trying to come up with some sort of solution like that for Bitcoin Cash, so that people can pay bills without having to, um, you know, access one of these KYC debit solutions, and also so people can acquire cryptocurrency in a non KYC fashion. Um, one of the questions I get asked the most, how can, how can I uh, get crypto without going through one of these KYC exchanges? And I used to tell people, go to Lamium, but you can't do that anymore. So now I tell them to go through these peer-to-peer exchanges like uh, local.bitcoin or local coin swap, local cryptos. And I've used all of these, by the way, successfully, but the problem is that they, they attract a lot of uh, scam artists. And, and I've gotten burnt a couple of times uh, there's a lot of identity fees on these on these exchanges and stuff like that. So, you know, it would be a more secure non KYC solution uh, to have like something like Lamium. So that's something that, that we that we're working on now, and you know, hopefully we'll have more news about that within the next like two or three months. I love that idea. That is that it that is that is excellent and because i i suffer the same thing it's like you know every like paycheck or something I'm like i just want to get like 50 or 100 bucks worth of of whatever you know so it'd be nice to be able to go on there find a bill that matches right you know, and, and to do it because I, I like the dot local exchanges as a you know as yeah. well but i find some of them it's like the people like especially like the bitcoin ones like the people want like more KYC than like, I saw one with like, okay, you got to write out this paper that says you are who you say you are. Take a photo of your face with your ID with the holding the paper. And I'm like, I'm not yeah. doing that. That's even worse than like an exchange. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, you know what happens in, in their defense is that um, you'll get like these scam artists who will run like phishing scams and uh, 
the, what they'll do is they'll, they'll gain access to your like online bank account. And then, you know, they can't, obviously they can't start spending your money because, you know, the bank is going to shut them down. It's a third party verification service. So the workaround is to uh, go onto one of these peer to peer crypto exchanges and buy a bunch of Bitcoin and have it sent to their uh, personal wallet. And then this way they can uh, sort of clean, clean their, their stolen loot. Um, so that's why there's like, people are so rigid with those requirements because they, they, they get burnt so often. It happened to me. I lost like, I, got, I think I, I was doing it for a long time. I made, I was making good money. And then this was when it was brand new. And, uh, I guess when the scammers started to get into it, I found, I, I took a hit for like $600 or something. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That's it. I, I'm not going to do it anymore. So it's too bad though, because it, it was profitable and, uh, it was a good way to engage in the counter economy, but it was just too, too risky to, to, uh, keep, keep going on like that. You know? Yeah. You gotta watch your ass. Yeah. A friend asked me like, when am I going to sell my crypto? You know, one, at what, what point? And I, I told him never, you know, like <laughs> and I'm, I'm not doing it for the profit. I'm, I'm doing it to take down the banks, to take down the government, to, to not support them. You know, the, the U S dollar is just blood money. Like every time you use it, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're giving, you're giving into the demand, you know, there's a supply and demand for everything, even U S dollars. So you're creating more of a demand for dollars when you, um, when you use it versus like crypto or something. Right. So yeah, like you're it, enabling low lives like Jamie Dimon and Lloyd Blankfein and all these like trashy scumbags who perpetuate the political system. Right. It's, it's, it's the Goldman Sachs of the world, uh, who survive off of the, the Federal Reserve. And it's also the Goldman Sachs of the world who perpetuate the Chuck Schumers and the Mitch McConnells and the Nancy Pelosi's. So it's, you know, uh, wh why should you and I pay for Lloyd Blankfein's new yacht, right? Wh why, why should we buy Jamie Dimon a new Maserati? Screw those people. Those are the ones who are oppressing us. So, um, but, you know, Going back to what you originally said, you're exactly right. If, if, if anybody out there is like wondering when the right time to sell cryptocurrency is, that just means that they don't understand it yet, right? Uh, you don't, you know, there's that famous meme with uh, the guy from the Matrix and he's like, he's like, when should I sell my crypto? He's like, well, what if I told you that, you know, when you're ready, you don't have to. And like, that's the whole thing. It's like, and that's sort of the vision of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that we all got excited about like years ago that the, the maximalists and this new wave of like financial investors and these finance guys, they sort of tampered those hopes and those dreams down. Um, but that was always the point. That was always the point was to like, you know, fight the banks and, and to create a new currency, not to create a currency that works alongside and the existing fiat system or like now you hear the, the maximalists talking about using Bitcoin as a reserve currency for the central banks. I'm like, like if you read uh, the Bitcoin standard by Saifuddin Amos, he says that Bitcoin should be used as a reserve currency for the central bank. And I'm like, damn, if there's this guy clearly doesn't understand cryptocurrency, but he's making, you know, all kinds of money selling this book and selling courses when he obviously has no inkling of why Bitcoin was created in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, 
I just, man, it's a crazy world out there, but I like, should have, should, should have brought a beer, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, the other, the other crypto that, um, I think people don't really pay attention enough to, and like I said, I'm all in on Bitcoin cash. I think that Bitcoin cash is the most, uh, potent of the counter of the cryptocurrencies from a counter, from a counter economic perspective, but, um, very close behind is, is Monero. I'm a very big fan of Monero, and I, I've grown on Monero a lot recently. Um, it's great because they use different cryptographic protocols to conceal the sender, the recipient, and the wallet address. But uh, on top of that, um, unlike some of these other privacy coins out there like Zcash or something, which is not, you know, it's no longer private because it's been hacked. Uh, Monero has never been hacked. And uh, I think it was IRS offered like a reward for anybody who can crack the cryptography behind Monero and no one's been able to do it. So uh, I'm a big <laughs> fan of Monero. About that is because I, I saw that and they were like, yeah, it's like a hundred grand or whatever they're offering. It's like anybody who could crack Monero, could make way more than hundred grand, <laughs> you know. In other you, ways, you, you need more than a hundred grand to crack Monero, right? You need more than that just in hash power alone, just to even think about cracking Monero, right? <laughs> Forget about like paying like talented like developers or something. I mean, it's just the the bottom line is it's just never going to happen, right? Like think about you'd have to crack ring confidential transactions. You'd have to crack stealth addresses. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, any one of the ma three major cryptographic tools that are used in the Monero chain are strong enough on their own, but all three put together are, <clears throat> you know, more or less impenetrable. Yeah, yeah I'm a huge fan of Monero and myself. coins are the ways to go. I, I just go ahead, Brandon. I, the only thing about Monero is that I'm not sure exactly how they're going to... I guess the only, the only roadmap that I see is that they're going to increase, eventually they're going to increase the uh, ring signature to make it, you know, e even more private. Um, right. Um, so, so I guess, I guess, I guess I just, I don't, I have a problem, I have an issue with, um, the only issue I have with Monero is what are they going to do to make it even more private? Because, because I feel like just having 10, or actually it's 11, 11 ring signatures they'll be able to eventually follow a, a lot of those those transactions. It's kind of like a big shell game, right? It is. Uh, uh, it is. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And then, and then eventually, eventually, I guess they're only going to increase, you know, increase the, the ring size to like, you know, they're going to double it or whatever. But I mean, I don't really see any other, any other long-term, uh, you know, privacy enhancer besides just increasing the ring signature uh, well i haven't seen anything yet i don't know if you've seen anything no no and i, I agree with you on that <clears throat> i i think an even a slightly even bigger hurdle for monero is, is in adoption right the problem <clears throat> with monero is that it's not accepted anywhere and that's because of the uh the, the whole you know the regulatory aspects of all of it um, you know, with Bitcoin Cash, it's accepted in more places than any other cryptocurrency in the world. With Monero, it's it's not the case. Like, you know, I I, I process at three D Printer Go Burr, we process. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 
we processed uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency transactions using uh, Coinbase Commerce. But there's no option to accept Monero. I can accept Litecoin or Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum, but there's no, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't accept, there's no option for me to accept Monero. And I think that's, that's true of a lot of payment processors. Um, and, and that all goes back to like, you know, the whole, the whole regulatory aspect of it all. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote an article um, on Agorish Nexus called um, the, the Crypto uh, Properties of Money and Cryptocurrency. And like medium of exchange is, you know, uh, I think it was Rothbard who said medium of exchange is the most important. Yes. Yeah. You know, they're, they're all important, don't get me wrong. But I mean, if you have something that's working as a medium of exchange, it's got most of those properties already, right? So like, Yeah. And this is the debate that I have with the maximalists all the time, right? This is why they, they, they don't like me is because that's the exact, I make the exact same point to them. Um, you know, they, they say the, the, the primary function of, of Bitcoin is to serve as a store of value. But that's not that's not what money is. Money, there isn't a praxeological difference between the terms money and medium of exchange. It, it's the same thing. And you know what Mises writes in the theory of money and credit in chapter one is that all of the secondary functions of money, and he lists them off. Um, I think there's like three or four of them. He says store value, credit facilitation, payment medium. Uh, unit of account, all of these functions are secondary functions of money, which rely on the on money's ability to serve its primary purpose, which is as as exchange media. <clears throat> and it makes sense, right? Like, if you know that you know everybody around you who you engage in commerce with is going to accept uh, pencils in commerce, well, then you have more of an incentive to stockpile uh, pencils, right? You have more of an incentive to use it as a way to store your value because you know in the future it can be used you know, to, for goods and services. Uh, so, you know, the, the maximalist ideology is completely flawed. It's, they've been sold a bill of goods uh, on false economics by guys like Saifuddin Amos and, uh, you know, myself and Roger Rivera and <clears throat> some others we've been trying to get people to see, uh, see the sunlight on this. And, you know, some people we, we've been able to wake up and others not so much, but we've certainly been able to piss off a fair amount of maximalists. That's for sure. I had, uh, I even had Nick Zabo call me a, he said I was, I was a dogmatist for believing in regression theorem. So I said to him, I swear to God, he told me, he says I was a dogmatist because I was a Mangarian. So I said to him, I said, okay, fair enough. Explain to me the origins of money in a non-circular fashion. And then <clears throat> he stopped responding because there isn't, a, it's not possible to do that. And like people forget the reason why Menger came up with regression theorem was to solve the problem of circularity. Like <clears throat> if we, I might, I might have to go get some water in a second, but if we point to like, if we say, why is money worth something <clears throat> today? Uh, you know, we, we have to point to his value yesterday. Well, okay, well, why did it have value yesterday? And you point to the day before. And you can sort of continue on in this like infinite regress 
right? That's why it's called regression theorem. So Menger's thing was like, you know, there has to be some sort of non-monetary value at the end of that line. And that's, that was the whole thing was he came up with the whole use value requirement. And that's, you know, we went into how gold was used for decorative purposes and stuff like that. And that's the whole maximalist argument is that, well, you know, you don't need that peer to peer cash aspect because we satisfy the use value requirement by being a store of value. And it's like, well, now we're back to the whole medium of exchange thing. It's just the whole philosophy is circular and, and that's, that's the whole, that's the problem with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that, I, you know, like when I set up a Gorish Nexus, I'm like, you know, this Saul guy, he's like hitting on everything that I, you know, everything that I believe is like, he's just hitting every single nail in there. Whether it's crypto, um, you know, I went down the, 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 I went to the Bitcoin cash fork, whether it's like Boogaloo's, every time I hear you talk, I'm like, this guy, it's just na- he just nails it. So it's um see, you know, somebody else have just a, a, a great perspective on it. I think it's so. you know what it is? I think it is it's if it's really not the way I see it is let the principles guide you, right? It's not really up to me to decide. That's why we have these principles to follow and to apply. So you know, the consistent application of principles should lead us all to the same place, you know. So that's Hopefully that's what's going on. And, you know, guys like you, yeah, yeah. guys like you and, uh, you know, Roger Rivera and um, <clears throat> some others, we all, we always seem to be on the same page. And I think that's probably because we're, we're all applying the same principles, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Dad, did, did you have anything else? Not, um, did you grab not- water or anything? So, so, you know, go ahead. <laughs> um, no, not not on that topic. I wanted to talk briefly uh, about 3D printing before we wrapped up, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, so Sal, I got to say that I, when I first heard, it might have been on Unloose the Goose when I first heard you um, talk about 3D printer go burr, and I was so mad at myself. I was like, "Damn it, D, that was so simple." It's the greatest title in the world, or the greatest name in the world for coming. Why did you not think of that? <laughs> you know, um, it's such a, such a simple yet like brilliant idea. So like props to you, man. Like that that that's great, and that is just like you know like a no KYC three D. For those of y'all listening who don't know, um, you know, you're selling three D printers, no uh, no KYC. You know, do you want to explain that a little bit? You do a better job than me. Well, yeah, that was the whole point. Was that um, you know there was no if you. It really took me. It was. It was. It took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to figure this out. But all three D printer purchases were being routed through KYC payment processors. And you know, if you step back from a counter economic perspective, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, I had one foot in the three D printing space and one foot in the Bitcoin world, and uh, you know. I knew that the purpose of the white paper was to create a peer-to-peer currency to remove those third-party verifiers. So I thought to myself, well, hey, if somebody was just offering 3D printers and, and filaments and supplies for cryptocurrency, well, you know, there should be no way that the state can have any involvement in that transaction. So that's what I did. <clears throat> and uh, I, I took a gamble on the fact that there were people out there who wanted to 
buy 3D printers for cryptocurrency. And uh, so far, I'm right. Um, I'd say probably a little bit more than half of our sales are done in cryptocurrency. I think today we did I don't know, maybe about $1,000, a little bit more than $1,000 in sales. And that was, you know, it's all conducted in cryptocurrency with 100%. So um, it's great. It's great. The, 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 the money never turns into fiat. Uh, I buy the printers with crypto and, uh, you know, I'm paid in crypto. So it's, it's just, it's wonderful. And that's, that's the whole point of um, agoristics, which is 3D printer go burr is just a, a project of uh, agoristics, which is a company that I created to help spread the mass adoption of cryptocurrency. And, uh, you know, the way I see it is, there's a lot of people out there who have cryptocurrency. They want to use it, but it's not very easy to transact with because there aren't a lot of merchants that accept it. So <clears throat> our goal is to uh, expand the amount of goods offered, goods and services offered for cryptocurrency. And, uh, you know, 3D printer go burr is one aspect of that. Yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's great, man. Like I said, um, excellent, excellent idea. And just a way to, you know, perpetuate the, or promote the use of, uh, of crypto. Like I try to, with my, uh, I run a small farm as we do our farmer's market and stuff. Like I have a sign that says, Hey, we accept crypto, blah, blah, blah. Nice. I mean, nobody's ever paid for it, but countless conversations about it, you know, with people who either have maybe just briefly heard about cryptocurrency and now they know it's is something they can actually use in their, you know, at yeah. least to buy from me, <clears throat> you know, so anything to help sort of promote that or get it in people's heads, you know, I'm down with, and I've even been offering a discount of like 15%. Exactly. Yeah. Know, who right. Wants to use it. Yeah, no, that, and that, uh, that's, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, you know, that, that is in New Hampshire, they do that a lot. Um, I have a lot of friends, the free state projects will go to these farmers markets and they'll offer uh, their produce for silver coins or cryptocurrency. And before you know it, all the merchants in the farmer's market were accepting silver coins and cryptocurrency, which is, you know, it's great. It's what, it's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Is that, what was it called? It was like a belt or like a track 3d printer. Is that, I saw a picture of it online. Is that an actual thing? Is that happening? Yes. Yes. The, the, the belt printers. Um, so there's this, uh, how does the piece eight- like, stay adhered yet not adhered. I don't, I don't understand. So it's, it's interesting. So the way a belt printer works is you can almost think of like a treadmill and mm-hmm. uh, reality. There's this, there's this Asian chick named Naomi, Naomi Wu um, who uh, she's usually like half clothed and whatnot, but she also happens to be like this brilliant engineer and uh, she's working with Creality, the company that creates the Ender printers which is the ones libertarians use and the ones that we sell at 3D Printer Go Burr. But she's working with Creality to create what will be the first ever sub $1,000 belt printer. Um, <clears throat> so this is going to be a beast. Uh, you know, the way it works, uh, the, the, a normal printer will print uh, horizontally, whereas this is going to have a, a diagonal gantry. Um, so it'll, in other words, the, the, the extruder will move on a diagonal axis, which is unique to 3d printers. Most 3d printers don't work like this. And as it prints something, the belt is going to move down and it'll print off the next model and the belt will move. And the belt is always in motion. And at the end of the belt, uh, there's this little, um, 
like a metal like edge, metal lip, so that the 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 printer, the print, whatever object you've printed will hit the metal lip and fall off the 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 belt. It's absolutely brilliant. And what what's exciting to me, and I think to other agorists, is that uh, we're moving from we're moving from the household production of firearms to the mass production of firearms in the counter economy. And uh, I think there's been some great work done in the 3D printing world by agorists like uh, Ivan the Troll. Um, he's great, and, man. He's he's one of the most effective counter economists uh, that's active today. I'd say probably him and Roger Ver are the most effective counter economists today. Um, but anyway, the work that he's done and, and even the Chinese company at Creality, they don't even realize it, but you know, they're, they're under the, the ink of the CCP, but they have done more to fight and stop gun control than the NRA has, you know, which is, they don't even realize it too, by the way, they're just trying to make money, which is beautiful. That's agorism, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about, um, there's some amazing developments in the 3D printing world going on right now. And we can spend the whole episode just on that. Um, <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah. I recently printing. got into it myself and I'm turning into a bit of a 3D printing nerd. Oh, nice. Did you get a machine or. Um, I got, um, I got his before I heard of your site. So, you know, bear with me, but no, I got the, I got an Ender three. They were a control pew had tweeted out that they were on sale. I got it for like nice. 12 bucks. And I was like, Dude, I'm like, I can't believe that this machine is only $200. Like, that is just insane to me. That's um, awesome. And I've been getting in. Yeah, I've been getting into CAD. I've been learning how to CAD and stuff. I designed oh, and printed a couple awesome. things today for, you know, little tools and stuff that I wanted for around the farm. Uh, yeah, man. And I've, so I've really been trying to get into the CAD thing, though, being able to <laughs> actually design stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, I'd like to be able to be be a part of some of this creation that's going on. We had Control Pew on uh, a couple months back. And, I mean, just just amazing and it's just so i just love that people come together from all over the world who have never met each other you know to design these things and you know they beta test them and safety test and this and that it's it's not dudes in white lab coats it's just people and i just love that shit yeah um it's really incredible too uh if you think about like I don't know. There's so it, it, it's the whole 3D printing space is moving so so quickly. It's it's, it's advancing so so fast. Um, of all the areas of counter economics and agorism, it's probably advancing the, the fastest. There's a lot of work being done in, in tokenization as well. But think about where we were with 3D printing guns just five or six years ago. We had the Liberator, and that was it. Uh, it was a one-shot pistol. If you were lucky, uh, if you were lucky, you wouldn't blow your hand off. Um, but it was a it was a great. It was an absolutely magnificent invention, right? In all plastic. Gotta start somewhere, man. It was beautiful. I mean, you think you can get this gun onto an airplane? You can get it through a metal detector. Um, so we went from that in the, in, the, in you know four or five short years to. Uh, you know, FGC nines and Glock frames and, you know, all sorts of neat, you know, whatever Ivan can come up with ne- this week, you know? So if the whole space is advancing very quickly and uh, I I'm confident that within 10 years, there's going to be a million Ivans and uh, 
at that point, it's already too late for them to put the cat back in the bag. But once uh, once we have a million Ivan trolls, then the ATF is going to be dead in the water for good and buried, as 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 they rightfully deserve to be. Yeah, make them uh, make them obsolete. You know, it's funny. Like, oh, you know, Biden was saying like, oh, I'm going to make you know, it's like three D printing guns or or file sharing or however he specifically said it, like illegal. And it's like, make it illegal all you want, dude. You can't stop it. <laughs> you know, like you said, the cat's out of the bag, dude. See, I'm from New Jersey, and let me tell you something. It was like the most heavily regulated state in three D printers uh, in the country. Right? You couldn't even. It was illegal for us to. Uh, like, like possess the files it was the only state in the country where you can't uh, you can't tell someone how to download um, a file like a 3D printing gun file is the state of New Jersey it's illegal so now think about that they actually have speech that's illegal if you <clears throat> if you stood uh, you know in front of one of these communist prosecutors, let's say in Newark, New Jersey, and you literally verbally spoke the code to an FGC nine frame or something like that, you would go to jail. You would go to jail for, and it's like a serious crime. It's like trafficking of firearms or something crazy like that. That's, uh, that's communism. But you know what? As somebody who, who, who's from there, I can tell you that, uh, it didn't work. It didn't work. Um, Many, 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 many people in New Jersey utilize uh, the counter economy for guns. And uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, I think the most blatant example out there is the war on drugs. You know, I mean, they've been legal forever, but you can't keep them out of prisons. Like, you know, yeah, really exactly. You guys are here. <clears throat> yeah, um, in fact, you know, I, I one of the things I tell people is it's easier to get a gun in North New Jersey than it is to get in rural Texas. Uh, they're cheaper too. They're cheaper. <laughs> they're a lot cheaper, frankly, because you know there's this whole uh, underground market. I won't even call it a black market because sometimes it's not nap consistent. But uh, there's a whole underground market that is spurred on by the communist <clears throat> attempt to oppress gun rights. Yeah, yeah. They just try and regulate something, just make it worse. Ain't that the way it goes? And, you know, that's you know that's one of the great things about three D printer go burr is that um, a lot of our sales are to gun-free zones. And of course, I, I, don't, I don't obviously, I would never uh, publicly tell someone to do something illegal, right? I don't know, I'm not gonna wind up like Erwin Schiff uh, or someone, but um, it makes me happy when I see those 3D printers go out to a place like California or something like, or, or New York, because you know what they're being used for and, or you hope that they're being used to liberate the individual and empower them. We, well, yeah, that's what's so great with the, the certain ones like the FGC nine versus let's say the Glock or something that you, you know, you need to get like a, a piece that's good here is like, yeah, people all over the world can use that, you know, in a, in a place where, you know, guns are totally illegal to, to make defense for themselves. You know, we had uh, somebody on an internet group I was in, it was in Puerto Rico and they're like, Hey guys, I really want to get a gun. I can't really get a gun here. What do you guys recommend? And we sort of pointed them in the right direction. And within two hours, they were on their way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, and then like, I was getting goosebumps. Like when that happened, like that's just so amazing, you know? Well, that's what, um, that was the whole point, right? Cause like, you know, and this is the way Ivan described it to me is, Anybody in America, it's very simple. You can order 
you know, the parts for a Glock right now off of Amazon or something like that. It's very simple in America, but people in other countries, it's not as simple. So that's why he, uh, he did all that work to, uh, he figured out how to, you know, rifle a barrel and stuff like that in your, in your kitchen sink, which is fucking incredible. It's absolutely yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, really, if you think about it, the guy deserves a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Peace Prize for that, because he's probably done more to promote peace by that one innovation than, uh, you know, any president has ever done. Yeah. You got anything else, Brad? We've taken up a lot of uh, Sal's time here, um, which is much appreciated, Sal. There, are there anything else we want to go over today? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I really appreciate uh, having you on. It's it's always a, a true honor. So, um, I I appreciate you guys having me. Um, let's let's do it more often, man. I'm I'm always game, especially on agorist shows and uh, you know, shows that are hosted by the agorist. I anything I could do to help and promote and you know support your efforts. So, like I said, I I'm honored to be on the show, and we should do it as as often as as you'll have me. Until you get Sorry, sick and I will take you up on that. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, do it. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's have mine like every week. <laughs> yeah, let's whatever you guys want. Let's do it. Really, you were to replace me as co-host. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I guess that, that's our show. I got a, I got a quote. Unless you got something else to. Add. No, man, I'm good, buddy. All right. The goal of agorism is the agora, the society of the open marketplace, as near to untainted by theft assault and fraud as can be humanly attained is as close to a free society as can be achieved and a free society is the only one in which each and every one of us can satisfy his or her subjective values without crushing others values by violence and coercion samuel edward conkin third of course next is out